this is something that's common in our community, we have to give that explanation. Hey, you are more likely to be pulled over and profiled is the word, but blamed for something because you may have looked like somebody who may have done something. Try and explain that to a teenager. He understands now, but he didn't then. And the fact that we have to have that kind of conversation should make us all think twice. Welcome to Love Your Neighbor. In this episode, Reverend Ann Kirchmeyer speaks with Ronald Graves. Hello, friends. Today is Wednesday, June the 10th, and I am here with Ronald Graves. Um, We're about to have a, a conversation, and I just wanted to give you a little bit of context about the conversation. Racism, as we know, is not new, but we are in a time right now of national turmoil And my sense is that some white folks are suddenly realizing, maybe for the first time, how ingrained the systemic injustice and oppression actually are for people of color. So I'm looking at this conversation, which is the second in a series of conversations, as an opportunity for white people like me to listen to and to learn from people of color in ways that maybe we haven't done in the past. So I am extremely grateful to Ron Graves for being here with me. And I wanna give you a little bit of background. Ron is a parishioner at St. Andrew's Episcopal Church in Newport News, the church that I serve. And he's actually been there a lot longer than I have. Ron's been here at St. Andrew's for 16 years. Um, And actually something even parishioners may not know is that he is um, about to become our treasurer. He's going to be taking over and is in training and boy are we grateful. A little background about um, Ron's work experience. He has a Bachelor of Science in Aeronautical Engineering from the US Air Force Academy and he also has a Master's in Aeronautical Science. Ron served for 27 years in the Air Force as both active duty and reserve. He served as an instructor pilot, an aircraft commander, and a flight examiner. And when he retired from active duty in 2009, he retired as a colonel. He currently works for United Airlines. He serves as a captain. I actually had to look up the distinctions here, but what that means is when there are two pilots on a plane, the captain is the person who is ultimately in charge of that plane. So Ron works for United Airlines as a captain and is based in Newark, New Jersey. Ron is married to Tanya Graves and they are the proud parents of two adult children. And Ron and I have had a little chance to talk before this. We together came up with the questions um, that that he'll be answering. So Ron, first, I just wanna say thank you for for being here with us. And we started off with just the question, how are you doing in this time? I am doing well. I'm fortunate to have a job still and I have my health. So um, yeah, I'm doing well, but As you mentioned, uh, when I see the present state of our society, we see incidents like uh, uh, George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery, um, I do feel anguish, uh, anger, uh, fear. uh, And I wrestle with the internal constant question of why? 
Why is this going on? Um, and then that's followed by what am I supposed to do? Uh, do I protest? Do I put out a message on social media? Or maybe I just accept an invitation to a conversation. So, Anne, I thank you for this opportunity um, to start this conversation. I'm so grateful. So the second question then is, so what is this current situation like for you and also for your family? Uh, yes, again, we're okay. Um, all of us, and you mentioned my children are adults, we're concerned. Tanya and I have been uh, obviously around a lot longer than our children. And so our concern is much more focused on them. In particular, we pray for Catherine. Catherine is our family protester. So we want her to be safe. Yes. Um, even before the unfolding of recent events, we had angst. Every time our young African-American male son went out. Yeah. That's just something that African-American families deal with every time we go out. And, it, you know, when they're in elementary school, it's one thing. But as teenagers, when they're trying to find their own way, it's totally different. And so we would have to pull in the rain sometime. When Eric, for instance, wanted to go out and hang out with his white friends, we'd say, nope, not a good idea. He would get mad. He didn't understand. Um, but we tried to explain, and this is something that's common in our community. We have to give that explanation. Hey, you are more likely to be pulled over and profiled is the word, but blamed for something for because you may have looked like somebody who may have done something. Try and explain that to a teenager. He understands now, but he didn't then. And the fact that we have to have that kind of conversation should make us all think twice. Absolutely. Um, both our kids faced challenges fitting in and racism when they first moved here in Virginia. We found that the black students looked at my kids who are lighter in complexion and didn't think they were black enough. Whereas the white students would see my kids and they're all in the same bucket as black as far as they're concerned and treated them uh, socially the same way. So that's where we're at wow. again. Yeah. yeah, thanks. So the next question has to do with um, your own experiences about racism. How have you personally been faced with racism or racist actions in your life? I, I thought about this a lot. My, uh, I, I tried to reflect on how many generations in my family have dealt with this. Um, two incidents stick out in my mind. One uh, dealt with when I was in middle school. Mm -hmm. uh, my father was in the Air Force and he moved my family to Ogden, Utah into a predominantly white suburban neighborhood. Mm -hmm. What I didn't know and what I didn't find out until much later was that my mother and father were asked not to move into the house that they just built. My father was offered $10,000 to move somewhere else. Wow. Now my father, African-American and being proud, decided we were moving in, <laughs> which we did. And as it turned out, we ended up making very close friends to most of our neighbors before we left. Um, the other incident 
was more directly more directed towards me. I had just been hired to fly for United Airlines mm -hmm. and I was still in the Air Force and I was in a training squadron when I was approached by a white pilot that I did not know. Mm -hmm. And he explained to me that I had taken his slot at United Airlines. And I thought for a second, I said, either he's making a bad joke or something else. So I said, well, how do you figure that? Mm -hmm. And he said, well, United Airlines has been sued for their hiring practices. So now all they're doing is hiring minor minorities and women. And I had also been privy to the conversations underlying the supposition that United was also hiring less qualified pilots. So I looked at this pilot and I said to him, how many total hours of flying do you have? He said, I have 1,500 total hours of time. And I said, well, when you compare that to my 3,500 hours of time, do you really think I took your slot or did I just earn my own? And he walked off without saying anything. So those are two instances that kind of resonated with me in terms of uh, uh, racist overtones. Yes. I have not been faced as many in my, as others in my community have with more blatant situations. Mm -hmm. Well, I am glad for that, but sorry for the two that you, that come to mind here. And, and I'll mention, I'll mention one more. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Tanya oh, also said that on, in her career, she had this, had similar situations too. When she was selected to be a new NBC news anchor, she was also approached by a, a white reporter who said, the only reason you got the job is because you're black. Okay. I'm struck by, this is making me think about entitlement. You know, that the person with the white skin expects that it's going to be theirs and says, you might, you're taking something away from me yeah. rather than looking at an evil, even playing field where why would a white person, well, I mean, I know the answer to the why, but why would a white person assume that we're going to get the thing that it's ours to begin with and that if you get it, you've somehow taken it away from, you know, from us. I'm really struck by that. It's, a, it's an interesting discussion if you really want to get into it. Um, and I didn't want to with this young man at the time, but I also knew because I had plenty of friends at United, and I had plenty of friends at the time who were in the hiring department. At that particular time, United was 97% white male. And so I didn't go into it with that individual, but I'm pretty sure he had a pretty good chance of still getting his slot. Right, So. right, yeah, thank you. So then we are, you know, we're Christians, we worship together in the same parish, um, but as, as you know, most of the parishioners at St. Andrew are white. We're a predominantly white church with just a few folks of color in our midst. So uh, this is a question specifically about parishioners of our other at St. Andrew's, but just in general, what is it that white Christians can do? What can we do to be an ally for you in this situation? 
Excellent question. And I think the first thing is to listen with empathy. And, and when I say that, I want to be very clear and differentiate between sympathy and empathy. The African-American community isn't looking for sympathy. We want you to first try and empathize with the situations we face every day. Um, and so when I discuss empathy, uh, the, the best example I can give you right now, I think, uh, concerns our southern border with the immigrants coming from the south. And I'm not here to propose a, a right or a wrong solution or to, to uh, correct anybody's view. All I'm saying is when you look at that situation, I would wish that every one of us would look inside and say, what would make me abandon my life, grab the few worldly belongings that I have, and embark on a 2,500-mile journey on foot through one foreign country so that I can hopefully land in another foreign country where I won't know the native tongue. What makes a person do that? And if we can answer that question, then maybe we get a glimpse of what empathy is. I'm not in any way an advocate of violence or rioting or looting. But once again, if you ask yourself, what makes somebody deem that as an appropriate action? Is it because they gave up their uh, well-to-do college life with the promise of economic prosperity and a, and a worthwhile career? Or is it a chance that they see an oppressive system um, that slants away from them? It's a situation where equal opportunity isn't exactly equal in terms of education, economic security, and healthcare. Yes. So again, I say, listen with empathy. I'm not asking to agree. I'm not asking to disagree. I'm just asking for empathy. Um, next, be a voice in your social circles, your personal circles, your professional circles. If you hear racial slurs or uh, um, improper stereotypical comments, be the one who says, you know what, that's just not how I align. Because if you're silent, that's easily accepted as acceptance. Right. So, be the voice. And then last, and very importantly, uh, I would say vote. Vote for those candidates, municipal through federal, mm -hmm. in all elections that you can, vote for those candidates that align with your views of tolerance, inclusiveness, and diversity. Those would be my three things. Thank you. That's really helpful because I, I don't know if you know this, in the conversations that a lot of the white folks that I know are having, part of it is, what do I do right now? Like you said earlier when you were talking about your situation at the moment, do I protest? Do I do this? Do I do that? Mm -hmm. I 
am also hearing from white people, what do I do in this circumstance? And so to, it's so helpful for you to have three very specific suggestions. So mm -hmm. thank you for that. Sure. And so Ron, what, if anything, gives you hope in the midst of this situation right now? Hope. Um, my mother has inspired hope in me and she continues to inspire hope every time I talk to her. And when we discussed the unfolding of recent events, my 84-year-old mother was very quick to provide a context for me when we compare our society today to what she lived as a young black girl growing up in Mississippi. Oh. She made it very easy for me to say, yes, we have made progress. Now, recent events tell us that painfully, we still have a long way to go, but we have made progress. So that, that is always, uh, mom can always be um, relied on to shine a light of hope. Second of all, uh, the tens of thousands, maybe even millions of people that have chosen to peacefully protest. Um, wow, hope for the future. The demographics represented in the people that are protesting, young, old, black, white. I mean, it is across the spectrum in terms of representation. That to me is hopeful. And yes. uh, Finally, as I mentioned earlier when we started in, um, having conversations like this, I welcome anyone who wants to just have a conversation. I want to know what they're thinking. What are you thinking? And, and if we tend to enter the conversation first seeking empathy, yes. it makes it easy most times to navigate to those areas of mutual respect and understanding. So again, I thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation and to let me try and let my voice be heard. Oh, I'm so grateful for your gracious willingness to engage in this conversation and for the thoughtful answers, the willingness to say, here's what it's like for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope that folks from our congregation will take you up on that wonderful offer of let's talk. Let's be in conversation and, and hear. Sure. So Ron, I'd like to end with a time of prayer. Holy God, I thank you so much for my brother Ron and for his willingness to engage in this conversation. Lord, I ask you for the gift of empathy for me and other white folks as we try to figure out how to be good allies to our brothers and sisters of color. I pray for your help for all of us. I pray that this pandemic of racism may one day with your help truly come to an end. And I ask you to help each of us do what we can to move forward and make a change. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Lord, I just want to say thank you first for uh, this opportunity. And um, I need to say thank you <clears throat> to my 
St. Andrew's Church family um, that has been a bedrock for my family. And I would like to ask that you touch each one of us in your way to hopefully motivate us to connect, perhaps in a way that at first may seem challenging, but in the end, I truly believe will be rewarding as we reach out uh, beyond our comfort level, because that's what we need at this time. We need a chance to perhaps move in circles in which we've never moved, all for the good of humanity as a whole. I thank Anne, and I thank all those who get the chance to see this all the way through. In your son's name, I also pray. And I'd like us all to pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, listener, what are you thinking and feeling right now? Whose shoes have you never considered walking around in? Try to practice empathy this week. Ron also asked that we all speak up in our social circles, that we do not agree with racism and oppression through silence. And he asked also that we vote. On Love Your Neighbor, we strive to create love and understanding through listening to each other's stories and ideas. But how about going beyond that? How about imagining that those experiences are yours? Thank you for listening, and thank you for following and sharing Love Your Neighbor. Join us next week for Episode 4.